Well, welcome everybody to a special edition of the Selby is Godcast. But we have just completed, Zach, the Stephen Vogt introductory press conference, and we are ready to react with our instant analysis and basically declare whether or not he is a success or a failure based on the hour of interaction we had this afternoon. So what are you thinking? So I was trying to think, coming into this, I thought the odds in Vegas for him winning the press conference would have been like <laughs> minus 20,000. You know, Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm bad with... Put you, this in terms where I can understand. So to win $100, okay. you would have to wager $20,000 that okay, he that, will win the press conference? That seems like it's pretty likely then that he's going to win yeah. it. Yeah. And I think most... <laughs> what would you say? How many... How many coaches or managers win the press conference? I would pr probably most, most of them. Yeah, it's a pretty bad situation yeah. if you don't. So I, I, I think he won it, right? And we, we thought oh, with yeah. his personality, you know, you heard all the glowing remarks from everyone who ever played with him, everyone who ever coached him, the front office. It was just a safe bet, right? Yeah, like I think the, so. The reasons he'd win the press conference are the reasons the Guardians think he's going to be a good manager. His ability to communicate, to connect with people, all of that. And I think that held true yeah without a shadow of a doubt I, I think he killed it today I felt like watching the interactions he was having with the media the interactions he was having with with, with Chris and, and Cherney up on stage I felt like the the things that that drew him to them were on were fully on display today that I could see why there, that connection happened there's there were even some similarities in the interactions that reminded me of just the dynamic that Tito had with them. It's so easy to fall into that. Of I'm course. trying not to, but like there are similarities in the personality. They, they, yeah. they, this was an 11-year marriage that ended very well. So why wouldn't that naturally just happen? But I think they found someone who is self-deprecating, who is... Yes. There's just like this... I mean, Chris Jimenez said it's like a, it is an it, it factor. And I think that gets tossed around too much but there's just like a magnet there's there's something about the personality that that person walks in the room they can talk to anybody in the room everyone in the room wants to gravitate toward them sure and i think he has that does that make him a successful manager i don't know does that mean he'll make the right decision on whether to pinch hit for <laughs> giles craw in the ninth inning of a close game in august like i have no idea but people didn't feel that about tito and tito was one of the best managers in the sport they didn't feel like he always got correct. that element right and so the difference is tito walked into a philly situation where they had no talent and i think we said this but like his core principles and philosophies and his ability to connect with people is what got him the job in boston it's what made him successful once he had talent to oversee sure. So I think like the 2024 Guardians will be more talented than the 1997 Phillies, but I, who knows? We don't know how this is going to play out. No. So all we can do is say he seems to check the boxes of the things that are tangible right now, and the rest is just incomplete. Yeah, I mean, well, you have to bet on people. This is what we said uh, on the previous show when he was named the manager you're betting on an individual and the elements the components the ingredients as i told you before we we hit record here you're betting on those things the rest of it i don't know like you can bring great ingredients into a dish 
doesn't mean they're all going to come together and all the tastes are going to be exquisite. Oh my God, do I know something about that? I couldn't even make chicken noodle soup <laughs> last week. Why? I don't know. I, I followed the recipe. And then like I got, I finished my bowl of soup and it was just all <laughs> spices. Like I how, had a spoonful how? full of seasoning. Wait, was it like, did you have to make it from scratch? No, I mean, I used broth from the container, but like there were spices in it and I just, I don't, how did I you mess think that I up? Used to, I, I'm really bad. Well, welcome to the cooking show. I'm TJ. That's Zach. As you demonstrated, just because you have the right stuff doesn't mean it's all going to come together positively. It was terrible. My wife's did a you, saint. Did you, <laughs> did you win the pre-meal press conference in the way that I feel like Stephen no. Vogt did? I always say every off-season, oh, I'll cook like every Sunday night. Um, and then well, I'm never just, coming over to your a, house. It's a train wreck. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me why I'll never ever come over for Sunday. I dinner. made bacon last year on Christmas and it was the color of your jacket. That doesn't, I mean, I like it crispy, but I do that too, doesn't but seem. This was, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, t- tell me a few things that really stuck out other than just seeing someone that did look like they had an ability to command a room. And I think that like, I don't want to lose sight of it. That's an important thing with the manager. You've got to be able to command respect, communicate well, get people to laugh when you want them to laugh, get people to feel emotions when you want them to feel emotions, or in the case of a vote up on the, 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 the podium today, even when you don't want to convey the emotions, they're there. You want to connect with people and make them feel something, make you feel like they, you're their biggest cheerleader. All the things that a manager needs to do, and I felt like he did those things today, but were there any other just elements of today that you felt like, yeah, I can see why he's standing up here today compared to anybody else that would have went through this process. I have three themes, I guess, maybe a fourth. So I want to get your take on each of them. (laughs) Okay. Number one, I think part of what makes someone like him successful is the mindset he's operated within his entire career. This is not a dude who got scholarship offers to go play at Cal State Fullerton and Vanderbilt and was a first-round pick, and it was never easy for him. Never came easy to him. And so he talked about how his rookie year he was thinking about coaching roles and wanting to learn more about why decisions are made. And I think operating with that mindset sets you up so well. And, and yes, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like The guy has never managed – he has one year of major league coaching experience. Like, that can't be glossed over. But at the same time, I think it's a little different than saying, well, uh, you know, Travis Hafner got to the end of his career and he was great <laughs> for a decade and he's just going to go into coaching now. Sure. Right. You're talking about someone that has had this That's in mind. actually a terrible example. Travis Hafner was, his he high was. school class was eight people. He was not like a. Well, wasn't he actually a prospect. coach? Didn't he coach like some local college for these five minutes yeah and he also i think he coaches like his kids so he might team. be a great coach Forget I, don't, okay. I don't know it's like Derek so apologies Jeter. to pronk Derek i don't Jeter know didn't retire and then say all right i'm gonna be a manager now no he's went on television and it's been awful yeah it's so been really bad we should get him on the podcast we'll, we'll see Nah, too boring um i think us or him yeah so i just i think the way vote has thought about everything in his career you know anytime he's had the opportunity to learn more I think he's just been efficient and sure. resourceful with his time. And I think that helps. So I don't think this is your prototypical person one year removed from retirement becoming a manager. I think this is a little different. Well, 
he even mentioned today in that little that brief time where he was in Milwaukee and obviously last year in Seattle with service that he was already picking the brains of the, the managers that were in place there, thinking of scenarios, how he would handle different situations. So the wheels have been turning in his, in his head for quite some time. So yeah, I don't think he's just your average, like, maybe not in the way that you see NBA coaches step off the floor and they're immediately thrust into being the head coach, but that's such a different sport because the coaches are, the, the players run everything in that sport compared to baseball, different animal. But it is not just a guy stepping off and thinking, well, I, I guess I would be okay with this. And I had, a, I had some degree of, of success in my career, so I'll be able to handle this. But I also feel like, and we say this with anybody that maybe struggled throughout a career, that they connect with people because they went through struggles themselves. And he even talked about it today. It was up on our YouTube channel too, the clip where he's discussing. He's, he's been so many different things in his career. And so he feels like no matter who walks through that door as a player, he has some experience to understand what they're going through. And not that you're going to overshadow them, not that you're going to say, oh, I know what you're going through and I've actually done it 10 times worse. But just I, to come back to it, I feel what you're saying. And when I tell you something, know that it comes from a place where I want you to have the success, even if it's tough news. God, how many times did... I mean, you've talked about the on this podcast where I think you had conversation with Brad Mills, where he would have to pull a player aside afterwards to say, you understand what we're telling you, right? Like we're telling you bad news and yet you're taking it awfully well. And I think it just came from the way that Terry Frank, the way that he would convey that that bit of news. It feels like Vote has a, a lot of that within him. It's not stuff you can take a crash course in and learn. <laughs> and this leads me to my second. <laughs> what, would, what would that be in college? I Bad News 101. Yeah, just tact. <laughs> tact 101. I think that leads me to my second theme, which is the people he's been around, the managers he's studied under. And he mentioned Bob Melvin, who he had in Oakland for a long time. But he also had Bruce Bochy. He had Brian Snicker. He had Craig Council. He had Tori Lovello. And you pick up things. And you don't even know you're picking them up. Right. But you, you learn how to communicate and how to have tough t conversations and and you learn how they go about it. And it got to a point where late in his career, he was the guy who said, hey, let me have this tough conversation with my teammate because it'll they'll respect it coming from me. It'll be easier for them to accept. And it also is good practice for him. And I think it's just stuff that like, I don't know. I think we all go through this. Like I've, I've been in this job now 13 years and it's like, I didn't learn how to ask questions a certain way to elicit a certain answer by just watching one press conference. And then I figured it out like you, you learn the tricks of the trade over time and by being near people who are really good at this. And I think that's going to help him too. I mean, this is, it's interesting. Like, what do people always say with like Cleveland's coaching staff? Like make Albert Bell, the hitting coach, make Sandy Elmar, the manager, make Omar Vizquel, the defensive coach, make like Jim Tomey, the assistant hitting coach. Manny Ramirez, base running coach. Right. Like we want, we want all the, all the people who never struggled in their lives to be the ones who teach. And that's not how this works. You know, you need to understand. And that this kind of leads me to point three. So I don't want to get quite there yet, but, okay. but when you can, the people he studied under, you know, Bob Melvin, that's actually like the perfect example too, because like in Oakland, 
I mean, think about how many different teammates Stephen Vogt probably had. Like he spent a lot of time in Oakland where they're constantly churning the roster. He was in Tampa. He was in Milwaukee. These are not big markets where they're paying veterans to be on their team for seven sure. years. Lots so of guys with chips on their shoulders. He, I just think he had such an opportunity to learn from so many different people yeah. and coaches and teammates and front office people um, that, again, everything we say comes with the caveat that he's never done it. But he's as prepared as someone 39 years old, one year removed from playing yeah. can be. Yeah, we'll, I'll keep coming back to it. It feels like it's that ingredients topic. It's, everything's there. He has got the, the skills and the different elements that you look for, whether or not it comes together, whether or not it comes together here. Like it could be something where in Tito, with, in, with Tito in Philadelphia, it was all there, but it didn't come together there and it wasn't the right situation, wasn't the right roster. And I want to lose sight of that too. Having talented players makes a manager look real smart. And Tito would talk about that all the time. You know, you, you go to an Andrew Miller in the eighth inning and he, he gets it out of the Get you, get you out of the jam and you think, great move. Well, also great pitcher. And so that's a big part of it too. But I felt like, well, I'll, I guess I'll turn this around and ask you. When he was talking about the, and I think people in our Discord were actually following the amount of collaboration. There was a counter going within the Discord. When he was talking about the collaboration and listening to people when they have ideas, people will, you can hear that. And you can say, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure if I believe you when you say that. Did you get the sense that when he was saying that, that's something he means and he actually values an ability to have an open conversation and to take many different opinions into, into account? This, is, this was the fourth theme. <laughs> I was only going to bring it up if okay. we hadn't already covered it. But yeah, I think that he, he mentioned it in multiple ways and it wasn't forced. Bless you. It was. Bless you again. I'm and, just going to guess. A third time. Is Jeff Shadell still here? Jeff. Yes. Okay. Hi. Hi, Jeff. I know him by his sneezes <laughs> um, every night in the fifth inning. Uh, I think, I mean, he said, like, he talked about old school versus analytics and how 90% of the time they're aligned. He talked about how, you know, he was asked, well, how do you feel as a catcher when you watch the playoffs and a pitcher who's throwing really well gets pulled after four innings? And he says, well, they have more information than we do watching on TV. Like, I think, I believe it because, yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy, I think the, the benefit here, Chris Valekas talks about this too, where these guys played, you know, in 2009 when they're breaking into the big leagues, it's see ball, hit ball. And in 2022 when they're still playing, it's study these charts and graphs and this data and hit ball. And, like, they got to experience both sides of it. So they understand as well as anybody the ad advantages to it. And also that, like, you don't always have to go by the book, but you better have a reason for not doing that, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of what he alluded to. And, and I, he just kept repeating that he's got resources in the front office that he can listen to, the coaching staff, and you just take all the information at hand and make the best decision. It's, it's not that complex, and it's it's... But it is. It's, it's, it's extremely complex, and yet it's not. When broken down to, to its most simple But it's simple still, form. like, I heard radio people in this town ragging on, like, their process of hiring someone because it was like, well, who did analytics tell them to hire? And it's like, that's not what this is. Like, everyone, the ultimate goal of everything you do in life, and you have harped on this for years, is just, I want to make the best decision. 
when I was making that chicken noodle soup that tasted like ass, <laughs> like I was, I, I wasn't trying to over season it. I was trying to make the best decisions and the ingredients on the screen were telling me what to put in the soup and they have been through this. They have the experience. So it's the, old school. It's, so it's the, the ingredients that were wrong. If it was the old school, I would have just been taking the pepper and just throw a dash in <laughs> here and then taking the poultry seasoning. That's the old gut. Yeah. But I followed the direction, so analytics steered me wrong with my soup. I think you, 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 the point is you want to make the best decision in everything you do. And sometimes there are built-in processes based in numbers that can help lead you to a decision. It doesn't mean you have to adhere to it. Yeah. But as a manager, it's your job to sift through all of this and make the best decision. And, and I think he gets that. And also not be afraid to tell other people that they're incorrect or at least have an opinion on the topic. Because I think there's a, uh, there's a very thin line between being open to what other people are telling you, taking all that information, but also being a pushover and just anything the front office tells me, yeah, I gotta do that because that's what the front office is telling me. And he's got enough of a track record and enough of a career and I think enough of a confidence within himself just based on our interaction. It's not a ton to go on, but this is the show we do that I feel confident that he, he can tell people, defend why you're telling me this. And here's why I believe what I'm thinking. And it's something he even pointed to within the press conference is that he wants to be challenged yes. and he wants to challenge others. And I think it's important that you have an, a nice blend of both of those things. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention is, is I think he's... I, I think you could have you handled a... You could have hired a front office mouthpiece, basically. And I don't think they did that. And I think, well, let's, okay, so we've covered themes one, two, and four. Let's backtrack. Can't wait for three. Backtrack to three. Give me three. And you touched on it already a little bit, but he's been traded. He's been released. He was an all-star. He battled injuries. Find me a player in the clubhouse he can't relate to. He's experienced the peaks and the valleys. He's experienced all of the random BS that life in baseball can throw at you. He mentioned that he and his family had moved 70 times. <laughs> um, Beautiful family, by the way. Beautiful and, family. And I think that that helps you connect with anybody. And it also makes it so that when he tells you something, when it's July and Bo Naylor's in an 0 for 26 why are you and doing this? Why are you putting this out into the, into the world? And that means he's going to go 26 for 26 if I say it. Well, now that you've not said that, you've, that's a reverse of the <sighs> jinx of the jinx. I don't know how the Miles of Jinx works. You've twisted my brain into a pretzel. Um, Delicious. I, I'm starving. When, when Stephen Vogt says something to Bo Naylor, Stephen Vogt's been through it. And he can say, hey, I learned from... I mean, all of it, like every single manager in the league is a catcher. So I was trying to think which of his managers were catchers, and <laughs> most of them were too. And he can say, you know, Bruce Bochy always ingrained it in my head, don't let that offer carry over to your defense. You know, like, like he can impart wisdom that he's not just saying it because he's the manager and he's got to say something. He's been through it. So theme three is I think a benefit to him being such a recent player is not only can he connect with every single player and every single ice cube in this fountain machine that you're hearing right now, not only can he connect with every player, but he knows how to 
relate. How how should he say that message? Because he was a play, he played against some of these guys. Yeah, he's been a player so recently. It's like he's not going to be some sound like a dinosaur saying something antiquated. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how that evolves over time, because, and I even asked Stephen about this. How do you maintain that that same connection level when you go from being the player, who's your colleague, who's your friend? To a manager who can still be your friend, but it's at a different different level. And there's there's always just that line. There's always going to be there. How do you keep that as thin as possible? And how do you maintain the respect? Because I think it's important that you have that respect too. Because we've seen plenty of instances of coaches that were connecting too well with their players. That there wasn't enough discipline. I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to be him. I. If I had to guess now, I don't think that's going to be an issue, but we don't know until you're put into this situation. He's going to have don't to know. figure that out as yes, he goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think I, I have some confidence that he can navigate that, that storm that every manager has to go through. And given what this front off, the process that they joked about, that they went through, I, I'm not saying that I trust them implicitly, but I am saying I I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt given what they've, what they've gone through over the past decade, that they know enough of what they're looking for and what works within the confines of the front office and the organization structure the way it is right now. I mean, we've said it. It's like, it's hard to, I mean, there are exceptions to this rule because for every vote or Francona or Stefanski, people have they come around on Stavansky yet? No, it's still too early. Um, I saw someone asking if he's closer to being fired or coach of the year today. I don't <laughs> think we've gotten out of that. Only in Cleveland. It's the only way we can look at it. Um, Is he the best or the worst? I need to know right now. Two one six. I think there are there are instances when like a hire is made and it's just everyone's scratching their head and it's like if they would have hired Bobby Valentine in two thousand nine when he was like I don't even know if I want this job and I don't even know who these people are interviewing me. Um, that would have made us scratch our heads in unison, I think. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, like these days are about, you know, you're celebrating the hire and you're only hearing positivity because we don't have anything else to go on yet. No. And if you didn't come away with that, like what the hell? Right. But I do think I, I just, he seems like he's got the right mindset, the right disposition. And I, I'm with you. It's like, the front office had to do a thorough process because they haven't done this in modern times. Like the last time they had to really go through a full casting to hire a new manager, like they had, I, I don't, I, it was 14 years ago. I'm trying to think of where I was in life in 2009. I was a nerdy Ohio State student trying to cover Beanie Wells. So I yeah I it's it's been a while like they had to been. really figure this out from scratch and I think that's beneficial because yes. you have this idea of maybe what works I mean they've been mostly successful over the last decade plus they also could look at this as like what do we need to take that next step mm -hmm. and you go through this process and you interview a ton of people a ton and you would, th I guess the point is that if you, all the work they did and the, the, the groundwork they had to lay to get to this decision, if you did all of that, 
and then came up with the wrong guy? <laughs> like that's <laughs> what the hell? What were you doing? Yeah, that would really point to some concerns about the process. But as we talked about, there's benefit in casting that wide net. And I think Trini had alluded to 50 different names maybe they started with, and you had reported 40 to 45, so maybe it was even bigger than what you had found out. Well, it was 45 to 48, but I didn't realize it was they had they narrowed it to 40. They narrowed it. So they started with a much, much bigger yeah. list. But it was beneficial because as we talked about on the show, you talk to people you never would before. This is a chance. It should be a rare chance, you hope, as an organization. You shouldn't have many of these chances to talk to pretty much anybody you want. Anybody that's not a manager, or in some cases, guys that are actually managers still. And it enables you to have conversations with people you never would have connected with otherwise. And that led them to Craig Albernaz, who it turns out is actually a really good friend, has gone back. Their, their families are friends. And so there's a good relationship already there between Albernaz and Vote. But that's a guy that who know, maybe they never have that connection if not casting that wide net. And there, there's benefit of doing that. Not only do you learn different bits about different organizations, maybe how they do it. They, you put your own process to the test when you hear how other organizations do it, but then you form those connections. And now, in this case, they hire Albernaz to be a, a new, new role, basically, on this team. They didn't have something like this before because, as they, they have talked about, the role of bench coach is much bigger than it was even five years ago. So he's coming in here to kind of help out in that regard, and you're, you're making vote comfortable in a group that a lot of these coaches are staying. And so you want him to have that, that sounding board of someone that he trusts. I think that's extremely important that they found somebody like that because I don't want to break up the rest of what I think is a really good coaching staff. I don't want Carl Willis to go somewhere else because, well, I, we need to make sure that Stephen Vogt is comfortable. I think Carl Willis is great in the role that he is, and I want to find a way to make it all work. And hopefully maybe that, that hire and maybe some other hires that they're going to make in the coming weeks will help in that regard. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, the, the staff... It was largely the same. I think four four people will be out. Tito. Do we call? Are we going to call him Steven? Tito was in such an easy nickname for yeah. so long. It's like it feels weird to say Steven. Stefan. Master vote. <laughs> um, coach vote. What did Hugh, Hugh Jackson said? Coach Francola. Francola. Uh, yeah, I really like that. Vogue, Vogue, Vogue <laughs> So no Sarba, no Rigo Beltran. Mike Barnett was, I mean, he's like tied to the hip of Tito anyway. Tied to the, they're, they're tied by the replaced hips. Yeah, I was going to say the hip's probably not a good place to be tied. Uh, so you'll, they still need a third base coach. That could be JT McGuire. Could be, they need an infield coach and then right, they'll could, decide right. who fits in to be their third base coach. They need a bullpen coach. That's usually an internal hire. And then maybe a bench coach, DeMarlo Hale, weighing his what he wants to do. It's odd. It's odd to see like some of Tito's top lieutenants stick around. Yes. But others not. So I'm I'm curious to see how this all works out. And I'm sure, you know, over time there's always turnover and you know, Vogue gets comfortable and then finds some guys he wants to bring in over the years. Sure. Right. You think of what Terry Francona's staff was in 13 compared to what it is now. It's gone through much turnover, much change, even though it's never really felt like that. So that'll be an interesting part of this process. Uh, I'm curious as we get more uh, of an indication of current players, what they feel of this hire. We haven't really gotten much of that. I know he 
already talked about having a connection with Shane Bieber, where they went and got, if you found out what they ate, it certainly wasn't your chicken soup. So stay away from the chicken noodle soup. No, but someone must have in Arizona because all the execs got sick at the GM meetings. Yeah, everything ended early. And how glad are you not to be there? This timing all worked out very well for me. (laughs) What's the, if somebody asks you, Zach, what happened at that press conference today? What's the biggest takeaway for you? What are you going to tell them? Because inevitably, Thanksgiving's coming up. Family, they know oh. that you cover this team. You're going to get this question. So think about it now. Tell That's me, a very what is point. your big takeaway? Uh, I usually just go in the corner and shovel cranberry sauce into my face and avoid everybody. No. Um, you know, I think it, it went as expected because the big thing everyone talked about with this guy leading up to and then after he was hired was I mean we like all those videos resurfaced of him singing Disney songs him doing his Matt Foley impersonation him being a referee like it was just it was the personality right and he seemed but if you looked at interviews with him he seemed genuine down to earth there's a charm there um he just seems like a guy right like a, a regular guy who I think he's going to have an easy time getting guys to buy in. I think they're going to be excited about playing for him because I think the thing that made Terry Francona so successful is those players knew he cared for them. Exactly. And that was my takeaway is this guy has that same sort of resolve where I just think he's going to get them. They're going to know he's on their side really quick. And I don't know where that takes them. But I think he kind of that that's what I took away from today is um, that part of this transition won't be hard. And I think that's key because there's a lot of this that will be the thing that we don't know yet. That one of the areas that the Terry Francona excelled at was being a chaos, uh, chaos coordinator. When things were hitting the fan, he knew the right thing to say to lighten the mood or take it the other way. Make it a more silly. He knew typically what button to push when things are going wrong. And it happened a lot <laughs> in his time in Cleveland where there was just a ton of chaos. We alluded to it that in his time as a one year of being a bullpen coach, you see a little bit of it up close. What happens when a starter exits early and you got to get guys ready, you got to get guys in the right mindset, and you're navigating a game plan on the fly. I don't know how he's going to react to that. You don't know how he's going to react to that. The team has no idea how he's going to react to that. It's not really something. I mean, you can try to simulate that kind of stuff, but how? Until he goes through that sort of thing, you know, everybody can be pulling in the same direction, but what happens when you have to have a bad conversation with somebody? What happens when somebody does something to anger other people in the team? How do you put out fires within a clubhouse because it happens even once we just never find out about it's inevitable 26 dudes in the same clubhouse and I mean more over the course of the year of course there are going to be times where not everybody's seeing eye to eye or going to be pissed off how do you handle those situations I'll just keep saying it it feels like he has the right ingredients to do it now we're going to find out if that bet was right and how poetic that that journey begins in Oakland Oh, my gosh. Where those fans and those possums cheered for him (laughs) for years and years. (laughs) And I would imagine on opening day, like, he'll get a louder ovation than anybody. Maybe. Yeah. God, can you... 
I know he talked about it, but just imagine the emotions that, when he looked at that schedule and saw that. This is the first time I've ever actually looked forward to an Oakland trip. <laughs> I have gone out of my way to skip that trip more times than I'd like to admit. But that should be quite a scene. So is this show. Thank you for being here with us. This was just a quick little reaction to the press conference, which, if we, as we've told you leading up to this, if we didn't come away feeling some level of confidence and not, not enthusiasm, but just feeling like they got it right after the press conference and something went terribly wrong. You should never come away feeling uneasy. It should have helped w win you over. But he had the personality, I think, to, to do that. And I, just throughout that press conference, I could, I could just see how easy it would have been to fall in love with him as a candidate. Well, and I also think it's important to note that, like, it's not like he got up there and did all his impersonations and it was just knock-knock jokes. Like, you could tell, like, th there's... That stuff is part of him, but that's not just what he's like, like. I think there's a lot of legitimate. Like, I think this guy yeah. really cares good, good, and wants to be really good. Good balance between Antonetti and Chernoff and him too, and being able to to fit right in with the friendly ribbing. You know, Antonetti and Chernoff love that, and they would always have that dynamic with Terry Francona, just always kind of making fun of each other in the most friendly of ways. And you even sense that with how he made fun of their interview process. Could you imagine? I'm so glad I remember this before the end. How many times did his phone ring, like the Zoom notification, and he just go, oh, again? So they spent 22 or 23 hours on the phone or on what Zoom? What else could I person? say? <laughs> what else could I do to win you over? And I just can't even imagine the, the reaction of Antonetti and Chernoff when they go to tell him he got the job, and he said it happened, he got a Zoom notification, and he, he's out there shoveling crap. And like he pops that up. He's, you see that in the background. I'm getting ready to tell this, this man that he's our new manager. What are you thinking when you see that? You know, because I wrote the other day that he, was, he stopped shoveling manure to answer their call. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, what are you doing? And then the way he explained it today makes so much sense. That whenever you have peak anxiety, when you're, I always have this debate in my mind. Would I rather be waiting on a call for good or bad news or be trying to avoid someone I don't want to hear from. What do you think is worse? I think the waiting. Yeah. It's always the waiting. That's, that's the worst for me. So, yeah, I can imagine because they said that he, they had told him on Thursday, we're going to make our choice tomorrow. God, that's awful. That's like the yeah. you, someone would tell you in the morning, hey, when you get home, I want to sit down and talk to you about what. And it's like, no, Just tell we're going to right do that now. right now. We're so, going to sit down right now because I can't. I can't. Well, let's rip the Band-Aid off right so, now. So then what he explained today made total sense to me. Because as he said, his wife was like, well, why don't you go do work on their, I don't know, farm, yard? He was shoveling horse manure. What did he say, 2,800 scoops or something? And it, it's genius. If you are, have that anxiety where you are waiting for a phone call and you like don't know when it's going to happen, or maybe you do, but you don't know what the news is going to be, do mindless, <laughs> tedious work that you have been putting on. Oh, you off. can get so much done. Yes. Like, oh my God. How I, many times, I, how many, how many times you got the house clean waiting on a phone call? Yes. Or just, I guess so I'll next time, real quick. next time I have like a serious thing going on in my life where I'm dreading a call and I, that's when I'm going to, I'm going to tell my wife, that's when I will clean my side of the closet. <laughs> waiting for that next Selby is God cast episode. We're going to have that closet super clean, bathroom pristine. Everything's just going to be shiny. 
Well, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to sit down and do this. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. We'll be back next week. Join us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash SelbyIsGodcast, where the conversation continues throughout the offseason. And of course, join the Discord as well. Hey, we finally did one of these at Progressive Field. We, we did. It's Will been it be a, our last it's been, one It's been here? a while. Why would it be our last one here? I don't know. I'm just, we always talk about doing a big live event. Yeah. I mean, even getting this done, it felt like a little bit of yeah, coordination. True. And this is nothing. So I don't know. We'll see. At least we have upgraded from the storage closet to out here where we'll probably never be welcome back, given the amount of dirty looks we've gotten that we're still sitting here. That's okay. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you. Bye.